Welcome to our very first episode of Nobody Asked for This, a Diet Culture Takedown Podcast. I'm Kendra. And I'm Megan. So Megan and I both identify as fat and we have our own histories with dieting. And after each diet failed or we inevitably gained back all the weight, we were left feeling like we ourselves had failed. Independently over the last few years, we have both been learning about body acceptance and health at every size. And now what we realize is that we had not failed at diets, but diets had failed us. Yep. There's actually no credible study or research that shows that diets are an effective or sustainable way to lose weight. In fact, 95% of people who go on a diet to lose weight gain back the weight they lost within three to five years, and then two-thirds of those people gain back more weight than they lost. What research does show is that substantial weight fluctuation from dieting is very hard on the body. So losing weight and health are not the same thing. Say it again for the listeners in the back. Losing weight and health are not the same thing. We want to expose the lies that are diet culture and the way it devalues all people. We are two straight white fat women, and so we have a lot of privilege, and we want to acknowledge that weight bias intersects with other systems of oppression like racism, transphobia, homophobia, classism, and ableism. Yes. This means that the harm that diet culture does is worse for people of color. It's worse for poor people, queer folks, trans folks. In the episodes to come, we'll have guests that can speak to how this plays out in their lives. So here are some things that we are. We are pro-eating what you want. We are pro-moving to feel good. We're pro-health at every size, and we're pro-intuitive eating. Yes. Here are some things that we are not. We are not about assigning moral value to food, and we're not about body shaming. We're also not anti-dieters, because listen, about five minutes ago, we were both on all the diets, and I know when I was dieting, I was just trying to gain love and acceptance, and these are pretty universal things that people want, and the $60 billion diet industry tells us that that's how we achieve love and acceptance. So we have a few segments that we'll be experimenting with in this episode and in the episodes to come. We'll talk about how diet culture shows up in pop culture. We're going to talk about snacks that we like, movement that brings us joy, and we've got some amazing guest interviews lined up. We want to take a moment and offer a trigger warning. In this episode, as Kendra and I share our stories, we'll be discussing diet culture, including some details about diets we've been on. Um, We understand that numbers can be a trigger, so we're not going to include things like weight numbers, clothing sizes, calories, or any numbers that could be triggering. So let's dive into our first segment. Our first segment is called Shut the Fuck Up where we take a deep dive into examples of diet culture and fat phobia in pop culture. Diet culture is like the air we breathe. We're walking around in it, mostly unaware of its existence, let alone its power and the harm that it can do. So we want to practice calling out diet culture when we see it on our screens. Yes, I have been working with a health coach um, for about over a year. Actually, she's an anti-diet dietitian. And she told me to get familiar with my inner critic. And our inner critic is the inner voice that um, often spews lies about diet culture or other ways that we're just not good enough. So she asked me to sort of flesh this uh, voice in my head out and start talking back and saying, like, no. Um, So as I practiced this, I started hearing diet culture, not only in my own head, but I heard other people talk about it. And I definitely saw many instances of it in pop culture. Um, so it was a great practice to just say like, Hey, shut the fuck up. (laughs) Right. In the first episode, we're going to be talking about a show called Shrill. So good. Yes. You can find it on Hulu. 
and we're going to be taking a deep dive into episode one, season one. This show is an amazing representation of what it's like to be in a fat body. And so normally for Shut the Fuck Up, we're looking at a show and saying, this is what it's doing wrong. But in this segment, we're saying, this is what they're getting right. And this is what it's like to experience fat phobia. So how we're going to do this is we're going to do a reading. I will be playing Annie, who is played by A.D. Bryant on the show. And Kendra will be playing... Tonya. Um, so to set up the scene, Annie walks into her favorite coffee shop and she sees a flyer for Get Toned with Tanya. She laughs and she takes her phone out to get a photo of the flyer. Here we go. Oh, kicking pizza. The trainer walks up behind Annie. You can just take my number. Oh, oh my God, you were toned Tanya. I was just taking a photo so the tabs were available for other people. So here, take a tab. Oh, okay, thank you. (laughs) Tone Tanya puts her fingers around Annie's wrist to see if they fit all the way around and lifts it up. Oh. Wow, your wrists are tiny. Oh. You actually have a really small frame. There's a small person inside of you just dying to get out. Oh, well, I hope that small person's okay in there. Annie jerks her wrist back so Tone Tanya is no longer holding it and turns to walk away. I know it could seem impossible, but you can do this. You weren't meant to carry around all this extra weight. Oh, wow. Um, very cool. I know I can help you. Well, that's very nice. Thank you. No, thank yourself for the amazing way. Okay, I'll do it again. (laughs) No, thank yourself for the amazing way you're going to feel after you give yourself permission to be well. Thank you, me. You could be so pretty. Then a bystander says, That was crazy. Oh, no, that was cool. She wants me to transform like a transformer. You're funny. You're like Rosie O'Donnell. Oh. I think that every time you come in here, I think, who does she remind me of? Rosie O'Donnell. Oh, wow. Thanks. Have a good one, guys. You too. You too. (laughs) And scene. And scene. (laughs) All right, Kendra, let's get into this text. Let's. Okay, So, what's the first thing that happened in this scene that made you uncomfortable? (laughs) Just, for me, it was just the fact that she even came up and, like, forced a tab on her. Right. If someone tried to do that to me, I'd be like, take a hand. I'm not, I'm taking a photo for a reason. Yes. I relate so much to the character Annie because she's, she, you can tell she really wants to be liked by everyone and is so careful to not hurt other people's feelings while people are constantly purposely hurting her feelings and not like acknowledging yeah. her personhood. Um, right. And I related very much to her in this scene, just like trying to keep everything peaceful and like, no, 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 it's okay. You're just trying to help me. But it wasn't okay. And I literally wouldn't have taken the number. I would be like, that was a waste for you to tear that off your own flyer. <laughs> yes. And that's why but I love anyway. you. We need Kendra's in our lives. It's a problem. Um, The first thing that I was like, ooh, is when she just grabs her her wrist. Like, it's just, like, no consent. Like, just going up to a stranger and grabbing their wrist and, like, holding onto their body doesn't feel great. And then she says, there's a thin person inside you. And what message? Dying to get out. She says they're dying to get out. What message does that send us? Kendra. Are you asking me? (laughs) Sorry. Oh, I'm getting quizzed. Okay. I'm getting quizzed. That, teacher Megan, that sends us the message that there's only one way to be and you're killing yourself if you're any other way. Yeah. That the way you are is wrong. Right. And that Finn is the ideal that everyone should be striving for. And it is also this weird gaslighting of like, your body is not your body. Yeah, and it's the only way to have health. Yeah. That's the other thing it's saying. All of those things are violence. Yeah, she says, you were not meant to carry around all this extra weight. So one, that puts weight as the sole outcome of 
like choices, food choices. It completely ignores genetics, environment, disorders, anything that could contribute to the way, the size that your body is. Right. And it also just assumes that Tonya is the expert of Annie's body. And Annie is the expert of Annie's body. That's right. Uh, anything else that made you feel a little weird watching it? Well, it's like this woman cannot take a hint to Tanya. And as Annie is walking away, mm-hmm. she's like, you have to give yourself permission <laughs> to be well. And she's, she gets louder in the scene. She gets louder. Yeah. This is how the bystander and barista get involved. It's like... What in the world? It's she's so unaware of what she's doing. Yes. It's like give yourself permission to be well. Right. No. You don't even know. She is well for all you know. Exactly. You don't have a clue. Exactly. The what you see when you look at a person tells you zero about their health. Zero. Yeah. Zero. So that was an assumption. Also, <laughs> the fact that, like, oh, all you need is permission to be well. Right. Well, tell that <laughs> to somebody with diabetes, you know? Tell that right. to somebody with cancer. Tell that to fill in the blank. Like, it's right. not about permission, friends. Right. So then the trainer says, you could be so pretty. Oh, right. I blocked that out of my mind already. It made me so mad. I'm so yeah. done. It's such a, it's like the dumbest thing that has ever that correlation of like, if you're fat, you're ugly is like, I, it's like, why is that how, where, how did we get there? I mean, I know right. how we got there, white supremacy and the patriarchy, but yes, it's like, ma'am. what? Fat and, and pretty are not mutually exclusive. No. And like, when you compliment someone on how they look because they're thin, your fat friends are going to feel it. It's going right, to hurt them. Right. I know right. because I am your fat friend. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> Listen, like, I'm here for Rosie. I think she's hilarious. <laughs> Used to come home and watch her show. But I think it's really funny that in 2019, this is the reference that's happening. Right. On the show. You know. It's so dated. It's like the and one. And, like, because she's funny and fat, yeah. she can only be, like, another funny, fat woman. Not just, like, someone else who's funny. You know? Yes. It's not like they have the same kind of humor. No. It's just. No, not at all. It was just, just the one fat, fat comic that they could think of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like, hey, you remind me of another fat person I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The other thing that I think is interesting about this is how the trainer clearly sees herself as being helpful in this situation and being concerned about Annie's health. And oftentimes microaggressions against fat people happen in that very way, whereas someone is trying to play the role of the helper in your life. So we hope that you will watch Shrill and let us know what you think about it. And this has been... Say it with me. You want me to say it with you? You don't have to. And this has been Shut the Fuck Up. This episode brought to you by Five Guys Fries. The underwire on my bra. Winter, the season of leg hair. And our favorite Lizzo song, Truth Hurts. So here we are at the interview portion of episode one. Megan and I are going to tell you our stories with diet culture. (laughs) At least we're going to hit the highlights. And then you're going to hear the rest of it throughout the other episodes. Yeah. It's way too much to all fit in. To one episode. To one episode. For sure. And let me just say, um, this is about our third or fourth time trying to record this interview, and it has made me so grateful for the other interviews that we've already done with our guests. Um, This is really hard to talk about. It is, yeah. So thank you, guests, for putting yourself out there. So Megan, why don't you get us started? What... what, How do you talk about the beginning of your body timeline? I would love to. Um, Okay, so the first time I remember thinking that I needed to cover up my body was at six years old. Um, It was like water day, 
for first grade. Uh, so everyone came in Best their bathing day suits. Ever. Yeah, it was super yeah. fun. Everyone came in their bathing suits, and then they were like water guns and water balloons and all the water. I remember being in my bathing suit and lying in um, one of those like reclining sort of patio chairs and yeah. being like, oh, I need to cover up my stomach. Mm. And so I pulled a towel over myself. So my beliefs about um, size started very early in my life. Where do you think that came from? From culture, from family? I think. I mean, six is so young, you know? Yeah. I think it was um, from culture. I think that um, my personality is to please other people. And mm. so I felt, I've always felt like I needed to be attractive to other people. Mm. Um, and then I'm sort of like, that's a way to please people and to have people like you is how you look. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. Spoiler alert, it's not great to live that way. It's not great. No. It's not great. No. Um, so anyway, I did a lot of dance when I was growing up. I, I danced yeah, for about 10 years. Yeah, we have that years. in common. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember a lot of anxiety around communal changing, like putting on the tights and the leotards with a group of people, or when it came time for recitals and choosing costumes, I was always like, uh, is this going to show my stomach? And I didn't want to do that. And also what's interesting is looking back at pictures from that time, I think that I probably had body dysmorphia because mm. what I see is a very average size when I look at those pictures and what I remember seeing when I was young was a bigger body. Mm. Um, so I think I definitely had that. Um, the first time I remember dieting was in ninth grade and it was a diet that my mom and I did together because, listen, we are all doing the very best that we can. Yeah, that's and right. she was probably hoping to um, help me in my own health journey, right? Uh, right? But let me tell you, this this diet was bananas. Literally, one day <laughs> on this plan was all you get to eat are bananas and milk. Um, oh my God. Yeah, I don't know that any dietitian what? would enforce that today. That's wild. Mm-hmm, it was, and so I mean, unless you love bananas and milk, and you're like, yeah, if you're doing Jibba. that in some sort of intuitive way, sure. But yeah, right. let me tell you, this was not that. Right, 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 right. Um, and I remember it was sort of like a, a week or a two week long plan, and probably day four or five, I got out of the shower and was like, I feel like I'm gonna faint because I wasn't eating enough, and right. I told my mom, and she was like. I'm, you, you can't eat this way if this is what it does to your body. And in my mind, I was like, oh, I better not tell mom if I'm feeling lightheaded because mm. I need to keep doing this because I'm getting so much praise from my peers on how my body yeah. looks because wow, of this. Yeah. yeah. I think I've done roughly like probably 25 diets in my life. Yeah. Are you similar? I don't know. I, I, I don't know exactly how many. Probably not. Um... Probably the same couple a lot. Yeah. Though. Right, 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 yeah. right, right, right. Mm-hmm. And what I know now is that probably really messed with my metabolism from right. all that restriction. Yeah. And I felt a lot of shame every time I felt like I had failed on the diet. Something else I remember is, so in my church that I grew up in, we had mm-hmm. something called interpretive dance. And if you're a Baptist, you know what this is. That's right. Um, it's where... You needed to say it was interpretive um, because that canceled out the sin of it, okay? Right. Because um, you weren't allowed to dance mm-hmm. unless you were interpreting Christian music or scripture. Yes, yes, yes. So we were, it was really kind of like, a, it was a Mary Mary song, so it was kind of like a hip-hop song. My group that I was in was practicing in front of um, a college Uh, this man was in college. He was a youth leader in our church. And I remember him looking specifically at me and another friend of mine and being like, I don't know how to say this, but you guys need to wear sports bras because if you don't, you're probably going to make some men stumble. (gasps) Whoa, how inappropriate. That's like inappropriate on so many levels. It is because one, he was was the one sexualizing me in the first place, Right. right? And also, uh, it brought on a deep amount of shame. Sure. And I felt responsible <laughs> for other people's quote-unquote sin. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's not great. Which had nothing it's to not do doing with that, you, everybody. Yeah, yeah, and that's more purity culture than diet culture. Yeah. But guess what? Those things intersect. Yeah, they do. Ooh, and they are a powerful tool of shame. I took some diet pills in college. Another spoiler alert: wasn't great. <laughs> really slowed down my metabolism. I couldn't sleep very well. I felt very anxious all the time. I got lots of praise for it, so I kept doing it. How did you, like, were they from a, a clinic, over-the-counter? Oh, they were from a general practitioner. It was from a man with an MD. Yep. He prescribed them for it, you. He prescribed them for me. Did, they, mm-hmm. did he call them diet pills, or did he call them, like, appetite suppressants? That's... I don't remember. Okay. But you knew what the, your remember. intention was. Oh, yeah. yeah. I went in and said, I want to lose weight, and he said, okay... I'll prescribe these pills for you and and you'll do that and that will happen. And it did happen as long as I took them. And then when I stopped taking them and I was actually able to sleep and not feel a general sense of anxiety all the time, Mm -hmm. um, that I gained back all the weight that I lost and then some more, probably because it had slowed down my metabolism so much. Um, Yeah. I also, I don't know if you can relate to this, but I just, I, I have so many memories of, um, this game I would play in my head where I would go like, okay, I'm about to start a diet and I'm probably going to lose this amount of pounds per week. So that means in six months, I'm going to be this weight. Mm. Did you ever play that game? I, I played like um, that. I want to get to this point in this many months and how, mm-hmm. but can I do it quicker? Yes. Yes. It was always the speed, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then another thing that I would do like sort of in secret would be to go online and Google something like diet before and after pictures. And then I would look at those and try to imagine myself in that after picture. Yeah. I think, I don't know, I think a lot of people probably do this. Yeah. And it's super harmful mm-hmm. and it never made me feel good. Right. It made me feel like I wasn't okay. Well, and it's I a was. fantasy too, right? Because how often are those before mm-hmm. and after pictures even real? For Like... Yes. undoctored, yeah. whatever. And then like, what's the yeah. next after? Cause what we know yeah. of diet culture is it doesn't work. So it's right. like, right, so right, then right, what right, happens, right. you know? Yeah. Go ahead and put your third after picture. Yeah. That's Where what I'm reach, interested yeah. in. Five years later, years later, where'd you end up? Yeah. Okay. Right. Let's tell a true story. Right. Right. Um, and the other, and I know I have a lot of compassion for that little girl or not. So like, honestly, like couple years ago woman mm. um because I know all I wanted was to feel like I was wanted and like yeah. I was loved and like I was accepted um because as fat people we have a lot of microaggressions toward us yeah yeah um and then just the general consensus seems to be fat is bad right and that's the world we live in well and we deserve those microaggressions right culturally yeah. right we believe that we deserve them for sure So how were you introduced to like intuitive eating and health at every size? What's been your journey with that? So, um, in about maybe like 2013 or 2014, I was living in Austin with my husband and our intern, we should be clear, uh, intern, intern, Eric, (laughs) Megan's husband position. (laughs) He's getting college credit for a class, a degree he's not trying to get anyway. Sure. He's, he has his PhD. He has his PhD. <laughs> uh-huh. Still has to be um, an intern. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, we're living in Austin while he's getting his PhD. And I was referred, I needed a therapist. Um, and so my doctor referred me to one. And she ended up being a therapist as well as a registered dietitian. And I didn't know it at the time, but she was an anti-diet dietitian. Okay. I don't think she was even using that language. Um, but through therapy, um, she told me about the book Health at Every Size and Intuitive Eating. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started to read that, and I had a really interesting reaction, especially to Health at Every Size. Um, because if you haven't read the book, sort of the content is about how diets don't work, and in fact, they um, are the biggest predictor of weight gain if you're dieting to, to lose weight because our body uh, is trying not to be in famine. Famine is the closest thing biologically to restricting. Um, so our body is like, oh, we don't want to die. We're going to actually try to hold on to all the fat that you're putting in here. And um, yeah, it doesn't work. So my reaction to that was twofold. One, it was validating because I was like, oh my goodness, this isn't my fault. Right. My body is not 
a result of quote unquote bad choices that I've made. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I've, I've tried so hard to be quote unquote good and make good choices. And that's taken me in the other direction, first of all. Yeah. And it also told me that I can have health at whatever size I'm at. Um, because that's based on behaviors. It's not really based on the size of your body. Right. right? Um, so my other reaction to that was grief Mm. because I was like, Oh, I'm never going to attain this thin body. Yeah. Wow. It's not going to work for me. And that was very sad. And honestly, that grief still comes up for me because there's a lot of power and a lot of privilege in a thin body. So of course I wanted that. Right. Right. Um, so it's been a lot of unlearning about how to value the body that I have now, how to not equate thinness with beauty, how to not equate thinness with health. Yeah. So it was definitely a process and, um, I still had like one, I don't know, half of my body fully in diet culture. Mm -hmm. I would say I would still like hear about a new diet and go like, Oh, but this one's probably different. Mm. This one might be the one for me. Yeah. Um, and around that time I made friends and one of them is a future guest. Her name is Erica Nunez. Um, and she was living in a bigger body and she had the best clothes and she seemed so free in her body. And she was modeling like very normal eating, non-restrictive eating. And I was like, Oh, I can be this way. Mm-hmm. I get to actually live like everybody else does if I want to. Yeah. Um, so that was a big permission for me. And then moving back to Nashville, we moved back in 2015 um, to be closer to my dad, who was very ill. Um, he'd had a massive stroke five years earlier. So I had watched him um, have to have a GI tube to eat, to consume Food. He had li- liquid nutrition a lot of the time, and he um, he wasn't able to walk, and he really only had use of one of his hands. So there was a, there was a lot going on in my life mm-hmm. at the time, um, and to watch my dad lose all of these things that I my body didn't even have to think about to do made me want to focus on my health. Mm. And it also made me want to find joy and gratitude in the things that I could do that I saw taken away from him. Mm. Um, so I found um, after his, he, he, he died that year. And after I sort of took some time to grieve, I found a gym in Nashville called Get Fit 615 that we talk about often. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked with a personal trainer there named Hillary Atanian, and she, like, our, how we would um, evaluate progress was not based on weight at all. Yeah. And it wasn't based on anything to do with physical appearance. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, I used to only be able to do. 10 bicep curls and now I can do 60. Yeah. And that's a huge deal, yeah. right? I was doing hill sprints and I was like I've literally never wanted to do this in my life and it's kind of fun what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> and um I don't know, I got a lot stronger and I just felt a lot more um freedom in my body, yeah. honestly. And I felt like I was really connecting to my body. And also around that time, I started working with an anti-diet dietitian from Nashville Nutrition Partners, cannot recommend them enough, named Jen Fleischer. Um, And she really has changed my life. Um, She's introduced me to the Intuitive Eating Workbook, which has been huge. And um, through working with her, I have been able to get off of metformin which was helping with insulin resistance. I got off of um, a high cholesterol medication and a high blood pressure medication. And guess what, Kendra? What, Megan? I didn't lose a pound of weight. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. So I just want to be like, I want to shout that to people. Like, "You you can get off these things, and it has nothing to do with how much you weigh. Right. It's your behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. So that was really cool. So where are you now on your journey? What, what is happening for you now? Well, I am still doing the intuitive eating workbook. I'm on like principle eight, getting close to the end. <laughs> um, 
I was asked uh, about a month ago by a spiritual community that I'm involved with to write an email, um, including content about the body. And I had so much fun doing that, that I was, it was, we had kind of already talked about doing this podcast a little bit, like jokingly kind of in my mind. Yeah, we were kind of joking. And yeah, and then I wrote this email and I was like, you know what? You've got something to say. Yeah. And um, maybe it's time to show up, right? Like maybe it's time to be brave. I'm getting emotional. (laughs) And maybe it's time to be brave and show up in spaces that weren't built for you. Yeah. And maybe it's time to change some people's minds. Mm -hmm. That's right. Beautiful. So that's where I'm at. Kendra Jo Crabtree. Those are all three of my names. Tell me about your experience with diet culture. Yeah, well, interestingly, I'm not sure I really started acknowledging or internalizing it until I was a bit older, but I certainly noticed that I was becoming the bigger kid in class when I was like in third grade. Yeah. But it was pretty neutral. It was just kind of like an observation and then the end. It didn't really affect anything for me. It didn't affect how people treated me. It didn't, or it didn't appear to anyways. It didn't affect um, how I saw myself. It just happened. Yeah. Um, it was only did I notice that it was a problem or it, that it could be, it was a problem to other people really when someone pointed it out to me, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. when someone told me it was a problem. And that was when I was like 10, I was in fifth grade. Um, and I was in a crowded area and a friend of mine was trying to get by um, down this aisle and she had apparently said my name several times, but I didn't hear her cause it was very loud and a lot of talking was happening. And like I said, it was really crowded anyways. Mm-hmm. And when she finally got my attention, she was clearly like frustrated that I didn't hear her the first three times she said my name. Um, and she said, Kendra, I was like, what? And I turned around and she said, I need to get by. And I was like, Oh, so I kind of scooted like the two inches I could to let her by which I guess wasn't enough room for her to like comfortably walk behind me. But like, I couldn't do anything about it. There was somebody standing there. Um, but as she walked by me, she said, I, I don't know if she meant for me to hear it, but I did. Um, she said, Oh, if you, if you just weren't so fat, this wouldn't be a problem or some, you know, something to that effect. Mm. And I remember being like, uh, you probably should have just walked around was like, my thought was like, you know, pay attention. There's a whole bunch of people right here. If you couldn't get by, there's a whole other aisle that's got nobody in it. You should have just gone around to the other aisle. Yeah. So I didn't really, um, the only thing that did was make me go, oh, she has a problem with it, but it didn't didn't. necessarily make me have a problem with it. You didn't buy into it. (laughs) No, I, I didn't really. Um, I just have always been a pretty confident person. Some may say too confident. I understand there's a line between confidence and arrogance, but um, I'm not. I'm not sure. I mean, my confidence, I think, has always done well by me. I've yeah. never, you know. So, I, you know, was aware. Yeah, I'm in a bigger body, whatever. Because I also had an awareness of all these other things that I had going for me. Mainly, like being able to sing. You know the way that I did at such an early age, for some reason that kind of balanced it all out for me, I think. Um, and then I think the other reason it seemed pretty neutral was that uh, I, a lot of people in my family are in bigger bodies. Mm. And so that really normalized it a lot for me. Um, and to be real honest, I saw people in bodies that were even bigger than mine. Mm-hmm. And so I think that for me somehow either my own internalized fat phobia towards other people or something kind of internal for me was like, I'm in the middle somewhere. I had this experience of like, yeah, maybe I'm in a fat body, but I'm not, that's not the fat body I'm in. If that makes sense. You were doing a lot of comparison and saying, not a lot of comparison. I think I just recognized that like there were varying bodies around me. That was just your reality. There are different bodies here and that's fine. Right. Right. Gotcha. Um, and you know, clothes were never a real big deal for me. I basically wore jeans and a t-shirt as far as I can remember, like every day of school almost. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so, and my friends, um, you know, we were just goofballs and like 
we were all drama kids in high school and we just like did whatever we wanted. Basically, we didn't really, we didn't, we didn't, you know, God bless subscribe. drama departments. I mean, just safe you know, haven. that's where everybody belongs. Yes. You know? Everybody belongs in a drama department. So that was kind of that. I think the, the only place that it needed to be changed, like I needed to change my body in was... Your, your, I should say that I can see you and you're putting scare, quote, scare quotes around change. Yes. Was, you know, was really, and again... Our mothers, our parents, they were doing the best they could yep. with the information they had. Yep. We love our mothers. Yep. They're great so people. So much. We're so thankful for all that they gave us. And let's be honest, they're probably making up half of our listenership. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> we love you, moms. <laughs> Thanks. Um, but I do remember, you know, being encouraged to go on different diets from my mom, but I also wasn't like totally against it. I was like, sure. oh, this yes. is the thing, so I'm going to go do this thing. Oh, I was excited to diet with my mom, I should say. Yeah, right, exactly. So I, though I was like aware that I was bigger than my, you know, it was like the fat kid in, the fr- in my friend group, I, it didn't really hinder me from doing what I wanted to do. Like I still would do whatever I wanted to do. Um, the one area that it did hinder me in and this is where, for me, purity culture and fat phobia intersect mm-hmm. um, pretty strongly, was in my what I thought was my non-desirability to somebody else. Yeah. Um, you know, it was like, it's, it was this weird thing of, in purity culture, it's on you, the woman, to be sure men don't lust. Like, that's what mm-hmm. you're taught. First of all, the assumption and, is that um, all men like women and all women like men. <laughs> Right. There's the first wrong assumption. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. And that there's only one body type that men lust after yeah. mm-hmm. is like another part of all that. Mm-hmm. And so, and so because of that, I kind of felt like I'm really doing this pretty culture thing well, cause I'm fat. <laughs> so nobody likes me. Nailing you know, it. it was like, <laughs> it was like wearing the ring and living in my body. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was yeah. just like, and you know, I dated a little bit in high school, but it was like always very innocent, if you will. Like I always dated good dudes, you know? Right. So, <laughs> um, you have a healthy and, health esteem, health esteem. I guess you have so. a healthy self esteem. Yeah. I've, I guess so. Yeah. And, um, so I never, and I never was like the follower, like taking crap from anybody else ever in my life. So, um, that is still true of me today. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, but it did really affect how I understand being attractive and, and I just thought I wasn't. And here I'll say this is like, that wasn't like the end of things for me. I wasn't like, Oh, I'm not attractive. My world is over. Mm -hmm. It was just like, okay, well that's what that is. And I'm just going to keep doing all these other things. So did you feel like there wasn't space in your life for that? Like you weren't allowed to want that or just there was no reason to want it because nobody else was going to want it from mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I learned from really from purity culture and like yeah. how it intersects with fat phobia. Yeah. And similar to you, I look back now at photos and I'm like, what was I, I mean, right. come on. And so I'm still working out some of that like desirability stuff. And yeah. It's, it's still not like full. I'm not fully present to that even now. You know, it's a lot to unlearn and to like recalibrate. It really Um, is. So that's kind of that piece. And then um, in college, I just started to do a lot of inner work. One, for me, there was a whole lot of freedom in going to college. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's the first time you're not living under your parents' roof. You get to make your own decisions. And so for me, um, the whole kind of diet thing kind of went out the window Mm. a good bit. It wasn't Mm -hmm. something that I, because it was like not a value I had but it was certainly a value that was placed on me and I just accepted. And so in college, I think I did some real unlearning in that. I only look back and recognize that it was not something I recognized in the moment. It wasn't intentional. Um, it was not intentional. It was just like what happened. Yeah. I was like, Oh, I'm going to go and take a waffle as a snack because I can eat whatever I want in this cafeteria all the time. You know, I just did that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, you know, my roommates would walk in and I would have a jar of peanut butter and a dark chocolate candy bar. And I would just be dipping pieces of it. And that'd be what I'd be having for snack. And they'd be like, that looks delicious. I'm like, it is. Do you want some? Yeah. When we were in college, there wasn't as much a culture of healthism. 
which I think we should right. come back um, and address healthism in maybe a later episode. But so there wasn't as much pressure about like, yeah, what are you eating? Right. And I didn't run in a circle that was like that. Right. I mean, I'm sure there were circles. I mean, obviously who were a lot more engaged in that kind of restrictiveness, mm-hmm. but like it, we were not that way. We were like cooking meals together and trying to figure out how to make real meals in our dorm rooms and stuff, you know, <laughs> yeah. we, you know, um, adding eggs to our ramen to make it mm-hmm. like a real thing. Mm-hmm. Ooh, it was so good. It sounds real that's good. A, that's a trick if you no. live in a dorm. Life hack. Uh, but but still, you know, I was still dealing with, like, purity culture stuff. I mean, I'm still dealing with purity culture stuff. But in college, I started to do a lot of inner work. In fact, it was kind of one of the things that I was, like, <laughs> on my way to college going, I can do this, this thing. And I don't really know why I thought I had to go there to do it. But I was like, yeah, I can kind of do this work. More in, like, uh, ownership of my spirituality, um, ownership of my mental health and my emotional health. And so I did a lot of that work in college and really post-college. But what I did, what I'm only kind of now in the last year or so realizing is I did all of that still very disconnected from the body. So Mm -hmm. I could only take it so far. Yeah. Yeah. Because I do believe all those things are interconnected to one another. And when one of them is stunted, they're all stunted. And so I did the best I could without still being pretty disconnected from my body. Um, And it's really only in the last year that I really started to connect all of that to my physical being, Mm -hmm. which has really opened me up to a whole other way of seeing the world and understanding, you know, understanding life and, um, and my place in it and kind of my ownership and my, I don't know, how do I say, um, kind of the space I deserve to take up, kind of understanding what that looks like. About a year ago, I started using an app that I was just getting like notices on Facebook to try. Mm-hmm. And it felt really different to me than a lot of these other diets, we'll call them. Okay. And once I got into it, it was just like a it was it was meant to be a four-month thing for you to set your own goals, whatever your intentions were in your journey was to use, and for them to offer some helpful, um, educational stuff every day to read about 10 minutes and to help you, um, and to connect you in a group with other people to talk about what's help, what's working for you and and encourage one another. And then to connect you with a one-on-one coach to ask your questions and to help set short-term goals and your long-term goal. So sure. People could absolutely get on this and use it full on. I want to lose X amount of pounds in this amount of time. And that would be, could be your thing. So hundred percent, it could be very much used for a the detriments of diet culture. So was it billed um, as a weight loss tool? I think it was. It was, but I went into it. Interestingly, it might've been billed that way, but as soon as you got into it and got into the reading of it, it felt very much like it had one foot in diet culture and one foot in intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. Um, so still diet culture, right? Yep. But for me, it was like a gateway to intuitive eating. Interesting. <laughs> I initially entered it to lose weight, but once I started setting my goals, they didn't actually have to do with losing weight, Mm. which that's what I find really interesting is as they help you set your kind of your real intention for it, it, it moves you away from interesting. I, because I want to look this or because Mm. I, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of that mentality. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for me, the intention was I want to be able to do, um, more strenuous, um, outdoor activity, and I want to not eat out as much. Cool. That was really like, that was, that was what really guided me. And frankly, I think made, made it more successful for me Absolutely. because it wasn't about like, I want to lose all this weight. Yeah. Cause weight isn't something we can control. That's right. It's a flawed goal in the first place. That's right. I somehow was kind of just beginning these practices of intuitive eating without really knowing it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes your journey in intuitive eating does mean you lose weight. Sometimes it doesn't. That's not the point. It's totally neutral. And so, but for me, at least for now, that has been my, that has been my journey. We couldn't do this without each other. I don't Yeah. Oh no. Oh no, no, no. There's a real like yin and yang going on here. For sure. (laughs) You are, well, I think we both are good at dreaming um, uh-huh. But you're better at doing than I am. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and let's be honest, you have a much better grasp on technology than I do. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, it's like 
because I'm not good at being vulnerable and sharing this stuff, it really, for me, it takes a certain person on the other mic to really talk about this stuff. Yeah, yeah for so, sure. so, you know, it, this is going to be what it's going to be because of both of us. You know? Absolutely. So we hope you enjoyed the interview portion of our episode and learned a little bit more about us. I'm sure we'll talk more about our journeys, I've no doubt. Um, but I wanted to offer you a couple of kind of clarifying notes about the interview that I gave, because I don't think there were a couple things that were clear enough, that, and I just want to be real clear about some things. So the first one is that I talk about an app. Um, I am not doing that app anymore. I haven't done it for a very long time. Um, I did it for four months, which was the length it was meant to be, and then I stopped. In the process of doing the app was when I was introduced to intuitive eating. And so when some of the habits that the app wants you to form, like weighing yourself every couple weeks and tracking your food, I stopped almost immediately because they weren't in line with intuitive eating. Right. Um, so when I finished the app, I moved further into the principles of intuitive eating. The one thing I do carry with me is that the app really wanted you to set your own intentions. It gave me the freedom to do that. But right. because I was learning about intuitive eating while I was doing the app, setting my, I was setting my intentions on things outside of weight loss. So it didn't come from the app. It came from intuitive eating. So you, I wouldn't recommend the app because anything that has any part of diet culture in it is diet culture. But I just want to make that clear. So the other thing I said was that I felt like I had success with the app. And I can understand how that could be taken as meaning I equal weight loss as success. But that's not what I meant when I said that. What I mean is I was measuring success in the value changes that I made during my use of the app. Like, for instance, my intentions were not. Towards the end of my time using the app, my intentions were not weight loss um, because I was looking at things through an intuitive eating lens more than through diet culture. And so... The value changes that I made is what I mean by having success, not the not the weight loss. Thank you, Kendra, for clarifying those things because we want to make sure that we're not ever promoting a diet or a dieting app Absolutely. or anything like that. And it's it, what's interesting that we found through talking through people is that there are little snippets of intuitive eating within a lot of programs, right. um, but one foot in, one foot out is not... Oh, is is not the way to be. It's not dual. It's not real. It's not real. It's not sustainable. It yeah. is diet yeah. culture, right? Any, any, exactly. It doesn't. You can't. You don't get to claim both at the same time. Um, Correct. For sure. Yeah, and so I feel like I am pretty new in this intuitive eating journey that I'm headed on. Yeah. And so I know that I myself am going to be learning different things, and perspectives will change and adjust as my own journey works its way out. Um, and so I do, I do often feel like Megan has a <laughs> much better grasp on this stuff than I do, but that's okay. Well, I don't know if that's totally true. <laughs> I read health at every size probably about five years ago. Um, but you know, up until like maybe a year and a half ago, I heard about a diet and I was like, this is the one. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Don't, um, you know, do, do not put me on a pedestal because I was still trying to be in both worlds like we just talked about. Sure. Um, and I think that this is a good moment for us to say we're going to get things wrong. Right. If you made it this far in the podcast, we're so grateful. We got some fun stuff coming up. Stick around. Let's talk about snacks, where we literally name the snacks that we're into right now to normalize non-restrictive eating. Let's talk about snacks, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the sweet things and the salty that we eat. Let's talk about snacks. We have strong opinions on the topic we're about to discuss. Yeah. But let's first just get out of the way. We love us some chocolate. Mm-hmm. Prefer dark. Milk's good. You know, you want to know where 
our strong opinion really comes into play. Megan, would you like to know? Even though I would like to it's know. It's a joint opinion that I know. Please you tell me care. my opinion. Let me tell you what you think. As usual. White, white chocolate is not chocolate. Nope. Stop calling it white chocolate. Can we just call it sugar, creamy sugar? Mm-hmm. Because that's what it is. White um, bar of vomit. Okay, sure. If you like vomit. I don't. And I don't like white chocolate, so it's a correct description. <laughs> okay, it's a correct opinion, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I just don't understand it. Because for something to be called chocolate, it's supposed to have a certain percentage of cocoa in it cocoa or cacao or cacao you'd like to call it and white chocolate very rarely has any cocoa in it there are the small very high end occasions where it does really but if you're but if it does you shouldn't be calling it white chocolate it should just be like a light milk chocolate (laughs) (laughs) it's my point Uh, no a, a light milk it's not chocolate a light milk candy here we go. Light milk candy is Ugh. what it should be called. But honestly, like milk candy sounds tastier to me than I know white chocolate to be. Yeah. Agreed. Totally agreed. It's too sweet, y'all. It's too... We can't. I mean, it. it's fine if you like it. If you like it, like live your best life, whatever. But like, don't give it to us. Is no. What we're saying. If you're we're wanting not, to give us chocolate... Thinking- as I know, you were everyone thinking, was wondering. Gosh, I want to send those two women some mm-hmm. white chocolate. <laughs> don't. Okay? That's really what we're getting to here. Yeah. This is a nom nom we are not Don't. And for. thank you so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we are here for chocolate, like every uh, other kind of actual um, real chocolate. You know, I wish you wouldn't speak for me. <laughs> um, okay. I can have like maybe you know, let's say a knuckle's worth of milk chocolate, and then I'm kind of done with it. Really? Yeah. All right. It's changed. Like, as I've... It's changed. I used to be able... It used to be my thing. And honestly, I've never been, like, if I have my choice of desserts, I don't choose chocolate a lot of times. I choose um, breadier sort of things. I understand that. I love a brownie. I love a chocolate cake. But, like, candy, like chocolate candy isn't always my thing. Yeah, it can be a little sweet, right? I am a dark... Dark chocolate is my number one. There's no question. Yeah. I like a little bitterness in my chocolate. Yes. Um, but I, I really enjoy a milk chocolate, whole hazelnut candy bar Ooh. from Trader Joe's. Okay. And they make it in dark chocolate. And I just don't... I don't like it as much. Something about That's the hazelnut fine. really needs the milk chocolate. That's okay. how I feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But rare. I'm kind of with you. It's rare that I'm choosing... Milk chocolate. Milk over dark if I can get my hands on dark chocolate. Yeah. That's 100%. Okay, yeah. what else are, what are our other snacks? Um, I'm into Dubliner cheese. It's this type of cheese that's from, let's say Dublin. Yeah. And um, it's like a cheddar. It's a, it's a lighter cheddar. And it has these like crunchy little things in it that, <laughs> that are supposed to be there. Um, I want to say they are, um, somebody told me one time and I forgot, but they're supposed to be there and they're good. But here's the thing. If you take a bite of Dublin or cheddar and then you take a bite of a grape, this really happy situation happens in your mouth. And, um, I think everybody should give it a shot. What about you, Kenja? I do love a cheese. You can't go wrong with a soft cheese, in my opinion. Mm. Specifically, did you want to speak on any <laughs> cheese? Or... I'm just, you know, I, I don't, you know, people want to lump white chocolate into all the chocolates. And it's like, no, don't do that. Right. But with cheese, I'm like, all of them are good. All cheese is valid cheese. All cheese is valid cheese. Um, yeah, I'm a big, uh, I just love a brie. Yeah. It's a real mild cheese. I know mm-hmm. it's not everyone's go-to, but I love it with a cracker. It's just a nice creamy, and I love a goat cheese. Yeah. Tell, ooh, what did you have yesterday that you enjoyed so much? I'll tell you. <laughs> it was goat cheese, but it was like it had a blueberry um, coating. Yeah, it was covered yeah. in blueberries. I had a goat cheese covered in blueberry. Mm-hmm. Ugh. And I don't do blueberries on their own. Mm-mm. But mix them in other things, and I'm here for it. Yeah. Ugh, I just, yeah. 
That's why I like soft cheeses because of how well you can put mar- marmalade. How well you can marmalade them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We're chefs, so we know yeah. words that are big. So if you don't know a word kitchen. that we're saying, it's probably that it's that just a really... That you're the one who mm-hmm. doesn't know it and not the, mm-hmm. we're the ones that don't know mm-hmm. it. So just, you know, know that. But it's important to know the oranges of words, where they come from, where they begin. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about snacks. So this brings us to our next segment, Joy in Movement. We think it is important that we talk about and share the various ways that we like to move. And we're calling it movement and not exercise intentionally. um, Because sometimes exercise implies a certain level of movement that has to occur. And we're just interested in moving our bodies and what feels good. So here we go. We We like like to move it, move it. We like to move it. All right, you guys. Here's the deal. We're dancers. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. We're legit dancers. We're legit dancers. The truth is, Megan and I both took dance in our younger days. Many, many years. For a long time. Mm -hmm. In various forms. Yeah. I took tap as my favorite. Mm -hmm. Jazz. Mm -hmm. I was a show choir kid. So I did that kind of things with sparkle fingers and jazz squares. Ooh. Jazz hands, fancy piano hands, whatever. Lots of different types of hands when you're in show choir that you gotta have. Yeah. But one of my favorite, most of the choreography is hands. <laughs> most of it is hands. <laughs> oh. And then like sticking your pose at the end and mm-hmm. trying not to show that you're breathing. Yeah. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Anyway, um, one of my favorite current ways to move is to dance mm-hmm. all alone. In my apartment. I don't have an apartment. In my house. You own a home. I own a house. Mm-hmm. All alone in my house. With the music blaring. And my dog looking at me like, who is this person? What's she doing? Yeah. That sounds super And it could be anything from Lizzo. Yeah. Because, like, let's talk about her some more, because why not? Yeah. And to musicals. Okay. Tell me, what's your go-to dance party song from a musical? You look overwhelmed. Probably. Uh, Just top of the head. Boo. You can do it. Probably Beauty and the Beast or something. Surprising. <laughs> uh, which song? Not a real dance musical. Taylor's old ass time. Uh, probably like Be Our Guest or, okay. you know, we're just kind of like jumping around a little. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Sounds fun. My favorite go-to dance song outside of musicals though mm-hmm. might also surprise you okay it is hold on by wilson phillips hold on for one more day sometimes somebody gonna make you want to say goodbye it, baby. okay but that's one of my favorite things to do it just it lets all the energy out mm-hmm. it's so lovely yeah yeah especially when it's gross outside and you can't go outside and be Moving around. It's nice. It's a nice way to be in your house and move around. What about you, Megan? Well, back in August, I want to say, I went to this event called Curvy and Confident. Um, It was at the Mullaly Dance Academy, I believe. And it was for adults. Um, And it was taught by this lady named Sania. And... Oh, oh, it was also a heels class. I did not wear heels. Heels Mm. were not mandatory. Mm, That's good. Um, But many people there had them on. Sure. So it was just kind of like a dance class that was about moving in a way that made you feel desirable and sexy and, but for yourself, you know? Um, so it was super awkward at first. Like I was, she was just like, okay, we're going to put on the music and for our warm up, I just want you to like, and we're, you know, we're in the mirror. I want you to just like kind of feel yourself and get into the music. Yeah, so come on now. my friend and I who were there together were like, you know, step touching it out for a full <laughs> three minutes, I'd right. say. Like, 
Just filling out the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are we doing here? <laughs> um, but one of my favorite parts, we get in a circle. We all start clapping like curvy and confident in this little rhythm. And then she calls different people to put them in the middle of the circle and dance. And this one woman came into the middle of the circle and dropped into the splits. <gasps> and everybody went wild. And it was so supportive and so positive. Amazing. And it was lovely. I want to say it was like 10 bucks. So... Um, that's amazing. You know, go to Sania's Instagram page and see when she's putting on these events. Her handle is at Sania, and that's S-A-A-N-E-A-H. Great. Yeah. Check her out. Move it! So our final segment is called Fat Friendly Hall of Fame. And our hope with this is to lift up the people who have inspired us, who have taught us, who have modeled for us body acceptance. And we hope that these are people that are inspiring you as they have inspired us. Today, for our induction ceremony, into our Fat Friendly Hall of Fame, the inaugural induction ceremony to our Fat Friendly Hall of Fame. We welcome A.D. Bryant and Lizzo and Megan Moss and Kendra Crabtree. These are the people we've been waiting for. We are the people we've been waiting for. Congratulations on your induction. You too, Megan. (laughs) 